All right, it is 9.30, so it's, let's go ahead and get started here this morning. It's uh, nice to be back today, uh, and I'm sorry about the corner over there. I know I need a big, yeah, I need a big gong or something. <laughs> sorry about the corner back there with the lighting, but we it'll be like disco strobe night if, uh, I don't know, we've... We've got, a, I guess, a short in the, uh, the dimmer switch for that. There's like select places, so like right there, right there, right here, and right there. I'm not sure how, and right there, I'm not sure exactly how that works, but anyway, yeah. But we'll, we'll get it fixed and uh, get back our lighting. So, uh, so to make sure you have a handout which is back on the counter out just outside the, the Bible study room. And we are going to look at the calming of a storm today. And I'm going to, we'll, we'll do the, the icons uh, idea here for a couple more weeks and then we'll shift gears a little bit uh, and, and look at some other topics and, and get into some other things, which will be fun too. Um, we, so this is Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. It's the calming of a storm. And, uh, you know, in, in other places, you don't see it in this particular text. But um, there's, you know, Jesus says, uh, he uses the word peace in, in one account. Peace be still. And... You know the notion of peace is an interesting thing. I was I was holding my grandson uh, this past weekend, and I like to show them show him icons. You know that we have hanging in our house, and uh, and you know then you kind of look at it through their eyes in a way. Like he was he was looking at it's it was an icon of Jesus where uh, with one hand Jesus is holding the Bible with it open to the viewer, and then with his right hand, he's giving the benediction, you know, he's giving the peace, and I, uh, and I was showing him, you know, that he's giving the peace there with his hand, you know, and, and then I got to thinking, isn't that a remarkable thing, that that is a prominent image of our Savior to give peace, and, you know, just what exactly does that signify to a world like ours, you know, to have a bestowal of a divine peace uh, in the midst of chaos. And that got me thinking about the calming of a storm, the account, because that's exactly what happens. So let's take a look at the text and then we'll, we'll have some discussion. And I'm going to talk a little bit today and uh, perhaps next week about uh, the vice of worry uh, in in the in this context, and just worry in general, because it's it's something that is very uh, natural to human beings to worry, right? To have anxiety and worry. So let's read this now. I today I have the New King James Version. So um, we'll wait. I see a couple more ladies coming in, so we'll give them a chance to to come on in, and then we'll we'll read. 
It's, and by, while we wait for them, I want to say it's really nice to be back at this. Um, I, uh, I missed it. And the time seemed to fly. Uh, you know, the, the holiday season seemed to fly by. But it feels like it's been a long time to me since we've, we've been together. So it's, you know, you think about uh, rhythm and the, the sense of holy rhythm and how important rhythm is to life. And um, so it's good to be back in this rhythm. So welcome, come on in. We are in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Mark 4, 35 to 41. And we're going we're gonna to take a look at the calming of a storm in the context of human worry and anxiety. On the same day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Okay, so there's the text. Now, I've mentioned before, there's a a method of interpretation of the scriptures called typology. And typology, so there's types and anti-types, okay? And so types are like shadows. You see almost as a shadow, a picture of what is to come that is fulfillment. So type and anti-type. So what we often find in the scriptures in the New Testament is that Jesus would be the anti-type. He'd be the actual real picture of what you see in shadows. Okay? So when we read this text we see Jesus as the substance of any water boat type in the Old Testament. Now, if you go to Jonah, so if you want, take a, go, go to Jonah chapter 1, and essentially, bless you, essentially then, Jonah is a type of Christ, okay? So Jonah is a shadow, kind of an image of what we see in Jesus, and Jesus is the fullness of it, 
Okay. So Jonah chapter 1. And just as we, as we take a look at Jonah 1, Jonah in Hebrew means dove. So you also have then this image of Jonah as like the Holy Spirit, right? There's, there's shadows of the, the whole, because how does the Holy Spirit come down in the baptism of Jesus, but, right? As a form of a dove. So Jonah chapter 1. Now the word, so we'll read through this. One of the things that we're going to do in the course of time is do a detailed study of Jonah, and that'll be a lot of fun. But today we're going to sort of run through it kind of quickly in chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, Amittai meaning truth in Hebrew, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, And Nineveh means beautiful, by the way. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from from the presence of the Lord. So he's trying to go away from the presence of the Lord. So he's going in the opposite direction of the Lord, which is a bad idea. (laughs) But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid... And every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. 
Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now, there's a lot going on in there, but do you see the parallel? You know, it's, it's almost like the account of Jonah and the ship and the storm, Jonah sleeping in the boat is like Jesus, right? It's very similar, isn't it? But there are differences. But, you know, think about who these people are in the ship. I mean, mariners were hardened seafarers. They knew the water. They knew how to deal with it. Same thing with the disciples, especially those disciples that were fishermen. They knew how to deal with the water. But these storms were really bad storms. And Jesus, like Jonah, is asleep. Just sleeping peacefully. You know, you kind of wonder like, and so think about life. This is kind of like life. You know, we had a lot of, a lot of people that we prayed for this morning uh, in prayer. And you think about all the things that happen in, in, in our lives and in the world. And it is like storms that just sort of rage. And what happens to us when we get caught in these storms? But, you know, we hope for an answer, right? We want it to be changed. We want the storms to subside and we want peace and quiet and tranquility. And, you know, you think about what we have gone through as a nation and as a world in what's going on almost two years now. And uh, people feel this constant unsettling. And just when you think, oh, maybe it's going to get better, then it starts up again, right? And, you know, I've noticed and the, the other pastors have noticed lately, you know, people are on high alert and, and everybody's nervous and um, there's a lot of distress, there's a lot of anxiety. And, you know, it's, you, you look at the gospel for today and you've got the storm raging and then Jesus is sleeping peacefully in the stern of the ship. And so often, this is how people feel in the midst of turbulent times in life. I've got a lot going on. I'm nervous. I'm worried. I'm dealing with this, that, or the other thing, whatever it is. And I pray to Jesus, but he seems to be sleeping, right? And I think a lot of people feel this way with the last two years of what has been going on where we pray and we look for answers and we look for help and we look for change and it seems that there's no answer. But so that's, I see a lot of that going on in this text. 
Now, when you look at, so this is kind of, I see in this text the anxiety of the disciples. And particularly uh, at the end of the text, you know, they go to Jesus and arouse him from sleep just like the mariners do with Jonah. There's a difference though. What's the difference in the between the two texts with the calming of the storm? Jonah gets thrown into the sea. Jonah. Jesus doesn't jump in. He just comes. Exactly. That is exactly right. And this parallels a little bit with another water account on a boat with Jesus and a disciple, Peter, right? Yeah, and he's walking on the water and then he starts to sink. So anyway, you know, there's a lot going on here. So let me pause. Any questions or comments while we, yes? Uh, I want to just think about like, the sacrifice element. You know, so Jonah knew that he must sacrifice himself. That's right. But then, you know, Jesus, he, there was not his time for sacrifice. He didn't need to. I mean, he was in charge of the story. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. And there's these elements of the wind and the waves and the storm and the sea and the rain and everything else. And Jesus is in charge of all of it. So that's a great comfort for us that when we feel as though we are trapped in life circumstances, the Lord does provide a way out always, okay? And he has an answer to everything. But oftentimes, you know, I've talked about this before, but there's an early church theme called the slowness of God. And in the slowness of God, the Lord is doing his work, but it's a different kind of work than what we would anticipate or think about. So faith, the growing of faith, often happens in the slowness of God, in between the time when we pray and when God responds. I was going to read about the hiddenness of Christ, and I don't know if this applies, but they said there was a little difference between just saying, oh, you know, Christ is waiting, but that he actually does hide his face for time, and, and our job is continue to be faithful and encourage other people to be faithful when they're going through these times because indeed it, it doesn't seem like he's... <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he is. That's right. It does apply. Um, Luther called it Deus Absconditus, the hidden God. And, you know, that's when just he seems like he's sleeping and you're languishing and struggling. And yet God is doing great work in the midst of that. And, you know, he provides his word. So that's the thing. In the midst, so God seems hidden from us and yet he has given us a place where his word is where his sacraments are, where his absolution is. And so in the rhythm of life, 
we keep returning back to the place where Jesus has given for us to be strengthened. And that's when he is working, working things out in our lives, in our souls, while we wait. And so he's not really hidden, but we're looking for that refreshment. And so with Jonah, Jonah is cast into the heart of the sea and then is swallowed up by a, a big fish. Jesus speaks. He speaks to the elements. And so Jesus, his word is a creative word. We see this often too, like when Elijah and Elisha will raise a child from the dead. It looks very similar. They're like types of Christ and it looks very similar, but they'll pray to the Lord to revive the child. Whereas Jesus goes in to the dead child and says, arise. So what you see also in this is the creative and all powerful word of God which that in and of itself is a comfort for us that when you come to church or when you open your Bible and we study, the word of God is resounding in your midst. It gives what it promises. So, you know, it promises to you love, forgiveness, resurrection, but it also gives it. And so that's why it is such a holy, holy thing to, to hear his word. When you think about the sea, the sea is depicted in the Bible as the place where the demons go. You know, you think about the Gadarene demoniac and when Jesus casts the demons out of, out of the man and into the pigs... And then what do the pigs do? They run like mad over the cliff and into the sea. So there is this notion of the demons and the haunt of evil and death go into the sea. <clears throat> and so when Jonah is cast into the sea, that's an ominous thing. The fact that the disciples are in the boat and you have the raging sea, that's an ominous thing. When Peter is walking on the water and then he grows weak and he starts to sink in the water, it's more than just, I could drown. It's, oh no, save me. <laughs> Get me out of here. And so if you look at the handout on page one, on the first page, Revelation 20:13 Psalm 107 is a bit lengthier it speaks to this but if you look at Revelation 20:13 and the sea gave up the dead who were in it death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one of them according to what they had done And so you do see parallels of this. Uh, Jonah's descent into the sea and into the fish. It's like Israel's exile. 
And yet, when Israel is swallowed up, God saves them. And thinking about all of this, too, if you go to Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 to 4, and you think about Jonah. So Matthew 16, 1 to 4. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. So Jesus, Jonah, it really is a Jesus figure. You think about uh, chapter 2 of Jonah and his prayer. And he talks about how he's in the depths of Sheol, He's in Hades, and he is experiencing hell as he is in there, but he prays. So what's interesting for Jonah, this is just kind of a side thing that we'll talk about when we study Jonah, is he's going away from the face of the Lord, which means he's turned his back on the Lord, which is a sign of judgment in and of itself. And But when he's sunk into the heart of the sea... And his death calms the sea. That's like Jesus. Because, and, and he's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And then what happens? But he's vomited out of the fish's stomach it, onto the beach, onto the shore, right? And... Uh, that's like death and resurrection. So that's like Jesus dying and in the tomb, and then he rises. And, and of course, in John's gospel, at one point, this is on a side note, but at one point, Jesus is on the shore. Remember this? He's on the shore. Peter and a few of the disciples are out on the boat trying their hand at fishing again. And what's Jesus cooking? Ha-ha. So, see, he's cooking the fish, which I think goes back to the fish that swallowed Jonah. So death has been swallowed up. You see? So just as Jonah was cast upon the shore on the third day, there's Jesus on that side of resurrection on the shore alive, cooking the fish that is death. You see? It's great. I mean, it's just, yeah, when we study Jonah, we'll get into just all the stuff. But back to this, though. Think about worry. So jump ahead just quite a bit. Go to the bottom of page two of the handout. So back to Mark chapter 4, 
in verse 39 and 40, what you see here is you have the disciples' petition to Jesus. Jesus then provides a great calm. And in verse 40, he said, Jesus says to them, why were you fearful? Do you have no faith? And then they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who is this that the wind and the sea obeys him? But what's interesting is in verse 40, there's one word used for fear. And then in verse 41, there's a different word that's used for fear in Greek. And then back up, So let's talk a little bit about worry. So at the bottom of page two, you know, you think about worry and anxiety and worry and anxiety have the ability to turn our gaze away from the Lord because it it can become something that is just all consuming. And, you know, I've seen this a little bit in our culture and in, in, in our world where people become so fixated that it's the only thing that they can see. And what it starts to do is destroy hope. It destroys peace. It destroys calm. But then it can also destroy hope. And the word for worry is in Greek, mimnesko. And I thought I put that on here somewhere. Did I put that on here? Where is it? Top of the neck. Yes, thank you. Merimnao. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So merimnao, it literally, the prefix of the word means to divide. But it, what it means is like a circle of occupation. And so worry... If you think about it on a spiritual level, worry starts to circle around us like an army. And then it starts to choke and starve. And this was a very ancient practice of, of war strategy. Um, you know, in 66 to 70 AD, when the Roman army surrounded Jerusalem... That's literally what they did. They literally surrounded Jerusalem to starve the people out. Okay? And that's what worry does to our souls. It's, you know, whatever the, whatever the, the cause of angst is, it starts to circle and wall us off. And what it's doing is it's walling us off from our sustenance the sustenance of our soul, which is the Lord himself. And suddenly our gaze is only on the thing that causes our worry. And it might be a valid thing. Like we in our culture today with COVID and, you know, the worries of the economy and, you know, everything else, those are valid, those are valid concerns. 
so the issue is, what do we do in the midst of these concerns? Well, one thing we should do is not just simply have this, I, you know, I call it myopia, you know, kind of a, it's like tunnel vision where all of it, you, you become so focused on this one thing that could cause you your trouble and it's the only thing you see and it causes distress and then we feel like we need to control it and then as long as we think we're controlling it, we're okay but it's when we get to the point where, we're, where we realize cognitively that we are out of control. That's when it all breaks loose. And that's what this storm and the calming of the storm is like. It is like they can't control it. You know, seafarers in Jonah or these fishermen, they knew how to deal with turbulent weather and waves and wind but it's to the point where it's out of control. And they're not even sure that Jesus, you know, you almost get the sense like they're not even sure Jesus can do anything. But like, hey, aren't you concerned? Shouldn't you be up here stressing with us? (laughs) And Jesus is sleeping because he understands what's going on and it's it's going to be okay. And, but, so this whole idea, this merimnao, this Greek word, and it is often linked with another Greek concept for grief. So worry can lead to grief and sorrow. And what do we find so often in the scriptures? I mean, Paul talks about I know what it is to be hungry and thirsty. I know what it is to have plenty. I know in all things what it is, but I rejoice in the Lord, you know? So always, right, we are being uh, being encouraged to be joyful and hopeful and to seek peace and pursue it because in everything, your life is in the Lord's hands in everything. Take a look at, so let's think about worry a little bit and anxiety. Take a look at Luke chapter 8, verse 14. This is, this is an amazing thing because this is the parable of the sower and he talks about the different kinds of soil that the seed is sown in. So just back up to verse 11. So Luke 8, verse 11 and following. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, 
who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now look at verse 14. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares. It's the same word for worry or anxiety, merimnao. So let me read this again. Now, the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So, This implies a life that's caught in the midst of storms. The word of God is given and then people live with the storms of life. The cares, the anxiety, the worry chokes out the word because you can't hear it anymore. We're, we, we become, in our worry, we can become so consumed with that which could harm us that the Word of God suddenly becomes like this foreign voice that we don't even know what it's saying anymore. And this happens to people so often. People, and you know, Luther had uh, two theologies He said one's a false theology and one's a true theology. The false theology is the theology of glory. And the theology of glory is if I believe if I believe the right way and you know make my life just right in conformity with the Lord, then all my problems will go away. I won't have any problems. My kids will be great, my job will be great, you know, I'll be a great citizen and you know everything's gonna be great. Yes, what? I want to sign up for that one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like everybody wants that one, you know, and especially young Christians, you know, new Christians, they're like, that's what I want. It's going to straighten my life out. You know, my life stinks right now, and, you know, they're telling me about Jesus, and, yeah, it's going to be great. And then storms come up, and you're like, wait a minute, this isn't what I signed up for, Right? The theology of the cross, Luther says, is the true theology. It's the theology that uh, comes in the midst of storms. And yet, with patience, as the word of God is sown, it bears fruit. Through And the Greek word is hupomone, patient endurance, is really what that word means. Patient endurance. And what happens, and you know this, right? Because you've seen it in your lives to one degree or another, where through God's word and that patient endurance, you become different. You get through a storm, and then you look back and you see how the Lord carried you through it, right? You can't see it when the wind is raging and it's pouring down rain, right? And you're like, I can't see anything. This is terrible. But then you get through it and you look back and you go, ah, I see how the Lord delivered me out of that. Right? Has anybody else seen that before? 
Yeah. Now notice, so go back to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 4. And notice the order of things because, you know, all these things are for a purpose. The way the the evangelist orders his gospel, it all has a, a reason behind it. So before the calming of the storm, which is our text for today, look at how chapter 4 begins with the parable of the sower. So what happens is Jesus teaches the parable and then he gives an example. And then... Immediately following in chapter 5, the text that we've already looked at in our class together is the healing of the demoniac, where the, the demons are cast into the, into the heart of the sea. So the calming of the storm shows us the icon of Jesus' work in the midst of our worries and fears. So how do, we, how do we deal with our anxiety? Because it is there. We all feel it. It might, you know, different situations and circumstances, but we all experience worry and anxiety. And it comes out of nowhere. And then it threatens, it threatens us. But go to 1 Peter 5. Verse 7. So we'll start at verse 6. Okay. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your worries upon him for he cares for you. So that's, that's what we're supposed to do. Cast all our worries upon him for he cares for us. There's the uh, the well-known passage, too, in Matthew's Gospel, right? Do not worry about your, your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Or don't worry about your clothing or what you'll put on your body. But seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you. So what's interesting with Jonah is Jonah was going in the opposite direction of of the Lord, and then he is cast into the sea, and then the big fish swallows him up. And then Jonah chapter 2, he prays. And his prayer is just like the Psalms, okay? So his prayer is like what you would hear in the temple, because the Psalms were the prayer book of the temple. And then he says, 
he makes this remarkable statement about how he will turn his face toward the temple. So a turning back to God, which what that really is, is in the midst of his own fears and his own trouble, he remembers to seek first the Lord and then everything else will be straightened out. And you see that in in Matthew's gospel in that Sermon on the Mount text. You see that here in 1 Peter 5, verse 7. And so now take a look at Luke 21, verses 34 and 36. Luke 21, 34 to 36. Now, listen to this language. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the worries of this life. Same word, merimnao. And that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So there you see it. So what do we do in the midst of it all? But we watch. Now, one last thing. Go to Philippians 4, verse 6. So as you're going to Philippians 4, think about that. What does it mean then? So the storms are raging. Don't let the worries of this life be a snare to you, but watch. So what does it mean then to watch? Watch and pray. There you go. That's right. So your eyes are open. You're looking around. You know the storm's raging, but your eyes are on Jesus, right? Your eyes are on Jesus. You know that he has command over the wind and the waves and the storms and the tempests. You know he hears your prayers, and therefore eyes of faith are opened in prayer and devotion, waiting for God to act. Yes. But we're sinful human beings. And we either don't leave them there, we take them back home with us, or we tell them how to fix it. Right. That's exactly right. That's, that's what we... I wonder why I'm 
Yeah, Lord, here's what you need to do, and I've got five steps, and it just has to go in this five steps, and it'll be fine. It'll be great, right? <laughs> so look at, look at this. So Philippians 4, let's start at the first verse just to get the context. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, Help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Same word, merimnao. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, which is the word Eucharist, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So you see what Paul's doing there? He's talking about our anxiety and worry that Janice, said, Janice said, this is exactly what we struggle with all the time. But he's saying, go in prayer. When you're anxious, when you're worrying, go to the Lord in prayer. But see, the beautiful thing about the, when it mentions prayer and supplication. So there's, there's different words used for prayer here. One is a general form of prayer or worship, you know, bowing down. Then there's petitions where you're making your petitions to the Lord. Lord, I need help. The storm's killing me. With thanksgiving, with Eucharistia. Now, what Eucharist means is literally good gifts, good gifts, good, good grace. Which implies that in the midst of your prayers with thanksgiving, the thanksgiving is that which is coming from God. We often think about thanksgiving as us giving thanksgiving, right? We're thankful. And there's truth to that where we are thankful and we give with thanksgiving. But the word Eucharistia for thanksgiving implies that there is a gift of grace that comes from outside of you. Which what that means is that while you're petitioning the Lord, the Lord is supplying you with something really good. And it's filled with grace. It's a gift. Which means that in the midst of your waiting, Jesus is supplying you. So the sense of 
Petitions with thanksgiving is a two-way thing. So the storm's raging, the storm's going on, you're praying, petitioning, and Jesus is giving. And it's going like this. That's the sense of of verse 6. It's not just one way like it sounds. And that is an encouragement for us. And that shows just how much the Lord loves you. And that he will take care of you through this life. You journey with him with the cross upon your forehead. And you are precious in his sight. You are a great and precious treasure to the Lord. So any of the things that are going on in life or in your life that would cause you anxiety or worry, the Lord is with you. And he will stay with you. And he will carry you. And he will take your heavy burdens, right? That's the other text in Matthew. You know, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's that, let's switch loads. I'll give you my light load, and you can give me your ship cargo load. That's what Jesus is, and literally that's the Greek, you know, the, the load of the burden is like a ship cargo load. And Jesus is saying, hey, give me that and I'll give you my, my light load. And so our Lord will always, always stay with you and uh, encourage you and strengthen you and care for you and love you with this greatest gift of resurrection and the daily benefits that come by way of his cross and his empty tomb. So let us close with with the collect and then benediction. O Lord, mercifully receive the prayers of your people who call upon you and grant that they both perceive and know what things they ought to do and also may have grace and power faithfully to fulfill the same. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Have Have a wonderful day.